Shared parenting does make it easy. I'm your host, Chris Batchelor, and this is the Parent Time Podcast. Parent Time Podcast is presented by National Parents Organization, a national nonprofit who is working hard to bring shared parenting nationwide. Hi, everyone. I'm here with Jeff Steiner from the Dads Resource Center, and today we're here to talk about how the Dads Resource Center got started and what's available to them and sort of what work they've been doing with fathers. So, Jeff, thanks for coming on board. Thank you for having me, Chris. Uh, we've been following uh, the MPO since we got going. Uh, you folks are where we are. We aim to be uh, down down the road, uh, and you've done a lot of great work over the years. So, uh, very happy to be here to talk to you today, Chris. Well, yeah. So, tell us a little bit. Um, you know, what's the genesis of the Dads Resource Center? How did it get started, and and uh, and kind of where are you at today? The Dads Resource Center was established by Dr. Jolyn Myers, who is the uh, founder and CEO of AccuWeather, uh, which actually is based in State College, Pennsylvania. That's where Penn State is. And uh, Joel went through some things, and it took him uh, a significant amount of time and resources to be able to get things to where they should be. Uh, and once he kind of got things squared away a little bit, he felt, I got to do something for other fathers who don't have my capacity to be able to muscle through all of this. And so he established uh, the Dad's Resource Center. He brought me on board in 2017. Um, I have a, my first career was doing direct service, working with families as a, a, a family pre- prevention worker. I worked in group homes with adjudicated youth, those types of things. Uh, and then my second career has been managing small nonprofits like this that benefit children and families. And so, uh, you know, Joel and I have worked together to, to get the Dad's Resource Center to where it is today. We provide education resources and advocacy for single fathers. Um, uh, we believe that father absence uh, is the greatest issue that this country faces, uh, that it lies at the heart of pretty much every social issue. Uh, that we deal with as a society, um, and that any parent um, who is able and willing uh, to be active in the lives of their children should be given that opportunity, uh, particularly fathers. uh, Because, um, and it's it's important to say when we talk about these things with separated families, most separated families do work things out reasonably well on their own. Most do. Uh, And there certainly are those circumstances where the father is the bad actor right? That is the case. And I can say with absolute certainty, we've never met before today, but you, MPO, everyone else, we recognize that if a father is at fault, that, that's someone who we don't support and we don't condone that. Uh, but there is a pretty clear established pattern where fathers are in a, put in a bad situation, whether it's through family courts, uh, the county, or the human services systems. And there are biases there. Uh, there are processes there that uh, passively enable or even actively work to deny children access to their fathers, able and willing fathers, for no good reason. And uh, the fathers are the aggrieved parties when that happened, yes, but the victims when that happens are the children. And that often gets lost in these conversations, particularly in family court. Oh, mom and dad aren't getting, getting along wrong, right? You know, that's what the focus is. People don't focus on the children. And um, Uh, Particularly, again, in family courts, if you have a situation, bottom line is if a family, if a mother and father separate and and it's a year, two years down the road, and they're still going back to family court, 
to try to sort things out and to have the family court manager relationship, they're doing it wrong. That's the bottom line. By then, they should be able to work together in the benefit of their children. And if you have a parent who has the majority of the custody time and keeps going back to family court and using that system to deny the other parent who's able and willing and there's no legitimate or actual safety concern or lifestyle concerns, but that parent keeps utilizing family courts to deny that parent access to their children, whether it's a mother or a father, they're the ones who are primarily at fault. Uh, and if they're capable of it, they, they have a responsibility to take a look inward and, and really uh, look at how they're doing things and how they're going about things. I kind of went off on a side tangent there. Uh, but the de- And we, we look at things uh, more um, uh, universally and holistically because it isn't just the family courts. It's the county agencies and human services agencies and, and different things like that. So we certainly are uh, direct partners with the MPO relative to family courts and shared parenting, absolutely. Uh, we, we also look at some of these other areas of the system and here in Pennsylvania in particular, we're uh, trying to act in a way to uh, enable system change, uh, that it better uh, enables father involvement, allows fathers to be in the lives of their children to the benefit of their children. So tell me, um, you know, the, the Dad's Resource Center, is it, it it's primarily a website, and then you have, also have meetings with fathers. I know we got talking a little bit before we started recording, but tell me a little bit about, um, you know, and, and besides the advocacy work that you do with the, with the different organizations, uh, what do you do directly for fathers? And then I want to talk about, you know, what you do uh, directly for, uh, you know, the, the courts and, and the other uh, so, uh, social organizations. Sure. Thank you. So given my background, Uh, with being a counselor, um, we provide what I would refer to as coaching uh, best practices for fathers um, who are in situations where they want to be in the lives of their children and they can't. So uh, primarily in Pennsylvania, because that's where we know the systems and we know people. uh, But we do have some fathers who've reached out to us from outside of Pennsylvania that we've been able to be of some assistance to. Uh, but I, I will meet or I'll talk to fathers. And we've had over 150 fathers um, over the last five years who've come to us desperate uh, because they're unable to be in the lives of their children. And, um, you know, I, I work with them as best I can. Most times they need legal help. Uh, and the, the, the honest truth of that is that's not the best thing ever uh, for most of the fathers. It's been, um, uh, it's been difficult uh, to, to see firsthand, knowing it going into it, but all the many different circumstances with different fathers that we've been exposed to, how wo- woefully uh, uh, bad that the legal system and attorneys are with fathers. They could be very well with mothers too. We don't, I can't speak to that as much, but they are just tragically bad when it comes to fathers. And so even that component, you got to have a lawyer if you don't and the other person has a lawyer, it's like going to a knife fight with a plastic sport. Like you're just, you're definitely um, in a bad spot. But even if you have an attorney, I mean, we've, we've seen many times attorneys counsel fathers, oh, just give up custody and that'll show you're a good person and we'll work. Th-. I mean, it's just, it's crazy things like that. So um, we do provide some coaching and mentoring and best practices for fathers. We do have a small group of fathers who uh, or in what I refer to as our leadership group. Uh, they meet bi-monthly on Mondays and uh, they help support one another. 
And that's something we've always wanted to do is develop that component. Uh, but they also help us in different things that we do with some of our uh, messaging, some of our web uh, videos and content that we develop. We go to them, they're a resource that we can get information from them and feedback from them. So they, they kind of, and most of the fathers who come to us, Chris, almost every one of them, they're like, this has been such hell, right? That, that, that it's incomprehensible to me. I just hope that through my experience, I can do something to help benefit those who are going through it. Like almost every father who comes to us, no matter how desperate their situation is, that's like a lifeline to them. They're like, it, there's got to be something that I can do that some other father isn't, isn't going to have to go through what I've gone through. And so we try to help give them that opportunity uh, as best we can too. Yeah, and so you mentioned um, that you also do work with agencies. What what sort of uh, particular work do you do, and have you made any headway, uh, you know, with those agencies? Because I know you know changing those those sorts of things can be a very uh, slow, slow process. Yes, just being able to have a seat at the table is the first step. Uh, what you have when we first entered into this, and we were really conscious and careful of this. Now I'd been in the system, so I knew I felt we had it wasn't as bad as what it would be perceived by people who, who are from out the system. But if you get labeled as or viewed as a father's rights group, you're going to have a real hard time being in any discussion at any level with any authority or people within uh, the systems. Uh, we've been able to establish that niche where we're looked at uh, in a manner that we are a, a voice that people can respect relative to fatherhood and specifically the issue of single fathers. Um, we, uh, we have a, a seat at the Pennsylvania Child Welfare Council. Um, we, I serve on the, uh, our local, our county domestic and sexual violence task force. They just established a year and a half ago, right as, as we were going into the pandemic, I guess it's been two years, an advisory, a parental advisory committee for the Office of Child Support Enforcement. We have a seat at that table. Uh, so at that ad, ad, administrative uh, level within the government, we're someone who has, we, we can be part of the discussion. Now, the, the, the points of views and where people are coming from, it's a little difficult sometimes. I can sit in a meeting and not have fathers or fatherhood mentioned once, but we have this to treat this and this to treat this and this. Well, you know, fathers, <laughs> they, they, you know, play a big role in these things. And we have a lot of data that shows fathers can make a difference in these situations. So it, it but you got to, ease into it and let people become comfortable and take your wins and get your toe holes where you can with that. However, we are part of a statewide group called the Pennsylvania Greater Father Family Involvement Campaign, uh, which was initiated by a gentleman by the doctor, by the name of Dr. Rufus Sylvester Lynch, an extraordinarily accomplished gentleman. Uh, and he uh, is the person who initiated uh, a bill to create a fatherhood commission on greater father family involvement for the state of Pennsylvania. Uh, now we joined in with that effort in 2019 and we had sponsors who sponsored the bill in both the house and the Senate in that session, but it didn't move. The house sponsor sponsored it in this session last year and it wasn't moving until uh, April of this year. And then it just started ripping. Uh, it came out of committee in the house came to a floor vote in the House and passed out of the House unanimously, okay? Came to the Senate, came out of committee in the Senate, once again, in the, unanimously. 
So this bill has advanced to the point that's where it's at now to create in it, what it is now is an advisory commit, uh, committee on father involvement, which would then lead into this larger entity over time. That's the vision for it. But because, and we've talked obviously to a lot of uh, elected officials, the leaders in both uh, chambers, um, all of them have had some experience in their life that they know someone who's gone through some things, a father who's being cut out of the lives of their children unnecessarily. So they had that personal experience and all of them have had constituents come to their offices pleading, I need help, right? So all the, the elected officials know that this is a problem here in Pennsylvania. And it's, it's been validating to this point because we took the step and we've taken, done everything we've done to be able to advance the bill. So they're coming back into session now uh, and we're, we're really hopeful and some of the vibes we're getting is that it should uh, be able to come up to a, a vote in the Senate and should pass and then get to the governor's desk. Now that's the first step, okay? We have to be able to get the, the people onto the committee who we know are gonna do the good work and then keep an eye on the work and then ultimately create uh, the Fatherhood Commission on greater father involvement in the state of Pennsylvania. But it'll be the first of its kind. There is a fatherhood commission in Ohio. They do some good work. It's primarily a channel for responsible fatherhood because most fatherhood is, quote, money and programs are for, quote, responsible fatherhood, unquote. And that's okay. Wait, we'll take that. Um, and and if, if it helps get fathers involved who should be involved, children are going to benefit from that. But that right now is the only uh, palatable way to be able to really further fatherhood. What we're doing now is taking because and there's and so there's millions and millions of dollars, billions of dollars that are poured into social programs, social services to be able to help children. When if you had greater father involvement, you could make some of those gains and do a lot of help without spending a lot of money, right? So that that ultimately is the aim to be able to look at it from that perspective and start to get at it uh, here in Pennsylvania. Um, and we're we're very hopeful. And we've even to this point, it's amazing what we've been able to do. So I, I want to roll back just a little bit on something that you said uh, a little bit earlier. And that is, uh, and, and it's something that I think we've seen nationwide, is that when the government uh, tries to step in and fulfill the roles of a father, uh, they end up kind of failing spectacularly, right? I mean, we, we see how that doesn't, uh, that that really hurts families in, in, in the long run. It also hurts society too. And I, I'd be curious with your, you know, work over the years uh, and, and work with these agencies, um, how have you seen that play out and, and what have been the results of that when, you know, again, when specifically when the government tries to step in and, and fulfill that role that a father, you know, should be filling, you know, where the father has been taken out of that role and the government has put been put back in that role. So I'm going to start with some anecdotal uh, discussion, and then I'll go to two studies that we did uh, a couple of years ago. Again, I, I sit in these meetings and they're, they're talking about all these different things, and it's anything but fathers, uh, because uh, well, one thing I can tell you is we did a survey of all the offices of children and youth in the state of Pennsylvania. Uh, 83% of the staff are female and 86% of the supervisors are female. Now, it's a job females tend to take because they got big hearts. They want to make a difference. They're good at it. And they mean well, right? So it's not a personal you know, assault in, in, in that way in any regard. But 
that makes it problematic from being able to engage and being able to activate and work with fathers, you know. Um, but what has, and so what you see in systems are that kind of thinking, and it fathers don't get involved or, or looked at. And, and, and I've relayed that earlier, and I've sat in these big meetings, and I'm like, what about fathers? What about fathers? So, anyways, we we did a couple of studies two years ago, uh, and the first one. Uh, was an analysis, an analysis of the National Longitudinal Survey of Youth, which was a database that was established back in 1996 with a, a group of a couple thousand, uh, 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 I believe it was uh, 12 to 18 year olds. And so they track them every year. They do a survey with them. And it's a publicly available database. So we said, we're going to look at where things are now because these are now grown adults. They're like in their 30s, upper 30s to 40s. Everything that we looked at in their lives based on whether they grew up in a home with their father or they didn't, everything they did better when they grew up with their father in their home. You know, so children who um, grew up without their father in their home, 7% less likely to have graduated from high school, 11% more likely to, to have smoked, 13% um, more likely to have needed mental health treatment. 20% more likely to have used hard drugs, uh, 36, 33% more likely to have, have had intercourse before the age of 18, 43% less likely to have graduated from college, 71% more likely to have committed and been convicted of a crime, right? They didn't grow, the ones who grew up without a father in their household. Even some of these things like uh, not having a father growing up, 11% less likely to uh, donate their time, uh, volunteer in their community, 13% um, less likely to donate to a charity, 26% less likely to vote, even things like that. 94% the children who grow up in homes without their fathers, 94% more likely to have used WIC, SNAP, workers' comp compensation, social supports. The children who grew up without their fathers in their home made 26% less annually right? Which is the difference, which was the difference between uh, not having a father in your home, making on average uh, $44,000 a year, growing up with a father in your house, making uh, $59,500 a year. Um, now I'm going to intersect this. I'm going to go to another study and, and then connect that particular data, right? Uh, in 2010, uh, the National Father Institute and Dr. Benjamin Scafidi separately did an analysis of the estimated cost uh, to the taxpayer of father absence. So all of them, they looked at the same thing, coincidentally. They looked at child support, uh, EITC, SSI, TANF, food stamps, lunch, uh, food, uh, breakfast programs, WIC, uh, Medicaid, SCHIP, Energy Assistance, Head Start, Public Housing. They looked at all these different things and they estimated, this is in 2010, that the cost of taxpayer to father absence was $100 billion annual. That was in 2010. We updated it with current data, census data, and also economic data uh, from the 2010 census and found that it now totals annually, this estimate, $296 billion a year is the cost of the taxpayer of father absence for all these different programs to be able to make up for the lack of fathers. Now, th this, honestly, this is us doing 
kind of back of the napkin math. Okay, so so this isn't right. We took the 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 difference in income between a child who grew up without a father and uh, children who grew up with their fathers, and then projected that um, out in terms of lost wages. And the number we got was that the lost wages in our of people in our society because they didn't grow up with a father is up to um, $490 billion, right? Now, taken together, those two numbers is 3% GDP, right? Cost of taxpayers, lost uh, financial capacities of children who grew up without their fathers. You know? Now, that, they're not exact numbers, obviously, but that's the scope of what we're looking at when children don't have their children actively involved in their lives. And it's, it's bad enough when you have fathers who aren't doing what they need to do. And again, we would repudiate them, right? And we would do whatever we can to help fathers who are in the fringe and the programs that help them. But those systems that are meant to protect and safeguard children far too often work to do that themselves. And that's what we're trying to get at, right? That's the problem that we're trying to identify and do something about because those systems that are meant to protect and help children, they're hurting children. Yeah, they're, they're certainly uh, not having the effect, I think, that's desired. I mean, uh, and, you know, I want to tie this back to shared parenting, too, because we've now seen studies that show that, you know, when, when shared parenting is done right, um, there's really no difference in outcome between children that grew up with a father in the home the whole time uh, versus children that, you know, are in a shared parenting situation. So I, th I think a lot of people look back at some of these numbers and they go, well, yeah, but it's not really the same because, you know, when you're divorced, there's all these different factors. Uh, but the studies really have shown that, that, you know, you can have similar outcomes um, to intact families with shared parenting. And the practical aspect is, 33% of our children are growing up in separated families, whether people like it or not, right? So that's the practical reality of what we're dealing with in our country. And that's, that's like three times what it is in outside of America, right? This is, we got all kinds of different issues tied in with that here in America. But to your point, if that's what we're dealing with, then we need to go for the absolute best standard that we can to be able to benefit children when that is the case. 100%. So I want to uh, turn this around strictly to Pennsylvania because I understand that you've worked uh, with the MPO here recently, do some polling, and we've done polling uh, at National Parents Organization across the country, and the numbers um, we've seen increasing support over the years. Kansas, where I'm at, uh, was one of the first states where they did a poll, and, and we've only seen the numbers go up from there. And, and it's been surprising to me how um, you know, it, it doesn't really matter the political affiliation over all of the state. Uh, we're seeing a general trend across the country. Uh, so tell me a little bit about the polling in Pennsylvania and, and what were the results that came out of that? Absolutely. Uh, again, we were really happy because we've been looking to do this for a while. And um, we, it would have been harder for us to create it from a new, so just to plug into what MPO is doing, and it was less expensive too. So very grateful to have that opportunity to work with you folks. So the top line, the two-pager, uh, the numbers coming out of it, um, uh, in, in instances of divorce or separation, 94% of Pennsylvanians believe it's in the best interest of ch uh, children to have as much time as possible with their children. Um, uh, 
85% of Pennsylvanians uh, indicated that they would support a change in Pennsylvania law that awards children as much time as possible with each parent after divorce or separation. That's 85%. Yeah, and I think whenever you look at these surveys, uh, when you look at numbers, you know, especially on any sort of divisive you know, topic, there's, there's a lot of times where the numbers are kind of split. You may say like 40% on each side and, you know, and a little bit in the middle that's undecided, but, but really in these polls, what we're seeing is it's, it's very clear uh, what the people want. And I think we're seeing that here in Pennsylvania as well. Yeah, absolutely. 91% believe Pennsylvania should promote shared parenting for all children with, with separated parents. Um, it, 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 like 80, 88% believe both parents should have equal rights and responsibility following divorce or separation. And that's, ab, that's abjectly not the case. We did a study in 2019, 14 Pennsylvania counties and uh, contested custody cases. And they gave share out of 700 cases we looked at, only 100 gave shared parenting, right? So what we see is a complete disconnect between what our family courts are doing and what people at large would assume or would like to see our family courts doing. 100%, absolutely. And have you had, uh, you know, discussions with the court systems on this? What's their uh, take on the disconnect? Well, <laughs> well unfortunately, um, we have uh, Pennsylvania 67 counties. And each county has a, co a court of the Commonwealth. And so that's the court that hears these uh, cases. Every judge, their, their, their courtrooms, court, courtroom is different. So we have about 400 silos in the state of Pennsylvania. And uh, there's, a, there's a consistency that most of them enable at the very least the way that this happens or actively um, uh, act in a manner that creates it. Uh, there are other judges and other where you get different um, results that you can tell that they're coming at it from a different viewpoint. Uh, we strive to be able to be in the position to be able to have more of a direct um, opportunity to communicate and to um, talk about this. Uh, that again is a, an organization. We're five years old. We're, we're, we're working towards getting there. It's, it's a, um, it's a silo and it's got concrete with metal casing, and there's just a lot we, you know, to be able to start breaking through to be able to get into them. Yeah, it certainly is a hard thing to change. And uh, I mean, I've I've been through Pennsylvania. I grew up on the East Coast, so I, I know how big of a state you have there. Um, and I think in a lot of ways, it sort of parallels where I am now in Kansas, where we have very rural areas. Um, and then we have, you know, very metropolitan areas, right? And so you have the needs um, of both those communities are different. I mean, um, you know, in, in the rural areas, you, you may have to drive an hour or an hour and a half just to, you know, just to get to your court because they're so far apart uh, and they're so spread out. But again, in, in the more populated areas, they're, they're a lot closer together. So um, I think what we've seen in Kansas, at least, is you have, um, particularly in the rural areas, they're very, very slow to change. Um, and, and not very progressive. And, and in, the, in the metro areas, they're not quite as slow to change, but <laughs> they, they, we have been able to make some, some headway there. Are you seeing sort of the same thing out in Pennsylvania? That would not be inaccurate. Um, and you're also dealing in the smaller counties where everyone knows everyone. You, you get into different situations that are 
um, extraordinarily vexing when that's the case versus, like you said, the larger metro metropolitan areas, that isn't often the case. But I'd say what you said and then that other component to it, too. Yeah, it is. It is interesting how, um, you know, it's particularly in small communities, how um, how these things can really be a problem where, uh, where, you know, in the larger areas where where people are not quite as close, uh, you know, or at least uh, where everybody doesn't know everybody actually have a better ch chance, I think. Yeah. So um, one of the things I want to talk about, too, is uh, we, we've often talked about, um, you know, domestic violence and shared parenting. I'd be interested to hear your take on on those topics and how they're related. I know there's been some recent studies on the topics, um, you know, but where does this fall into the work that you guys do at the Dad's Resource Center? All right. Again, I, I got to add a rider or two into this. Um, the domestic violence movement started back in the 70s uh, and rightfully so. I'm old enough to know how things were through the 70s coming into the 80s in a lot of different ways. And we had to mature in advance in many different ways, even like child abuse. Like you didn't get reporting and activity on child abuse at these county levels like, like you're talking about until the 70s going into the 80s. And rightfully so, there are a lot of things out there for women and, and mothers. And we support that. They need it. Right? They need what they're getting. Um, and this, the, it, it, as we get to today, the domestic violence movement has been very successful. Right, The incidence of uh, fatalities and significant bodily harm that occur through domestic violence are much, much, much lower than when all of that started. But what has happened, particularly within this, this network of the, the county and court systems, which they do a lot of good work and they see a lot of horrible things. It's a tough job, right? But that it's, it's very intertwined and intermeshed. They have a extreme amount of influence. Okay. And again, rightfully so they work with our judge. See, they can talk to our judges, <laughs> you know, the, the, the women's resource centers, they have direct channels, our judges. Okay. And that, but there's nothing there for fathers. And when you have that intensity, the scale just tips. It does. And we see as a tactic, uh, a, a certain percentage, and this is just our internal numbers of the fathers who come to us, like the different fathers who face alienation, the different fathers who are facing misused PFAs. You know, we would put that at about 33% of the fathers who come to us have had PFAs on them that were questionable in nature, okay? Utilized to be able to um, game the custody situation. Because as everyone knows, once you get that PFA, that resets the custody regardless of what the custody order is. And then it doesn't just snap back, right? It, it, it you know, it, and so we, we, we tried to look into this as best we can. We looked at all the counties in, in, in Pennsylvania and, and the way our system is, we're a commonwealth, okay? So Counties are a little more isolated, like there are things every county should be doing at, at the state level, but a lot of them do their paperwork different, their documentation different. And so just in that process, in the different courthouses, they don't track things the same. And so it's hard to quantify things, you know, to, we're able to get at things. And some of that is just the matter of business. And some of that's purposeful too. And this isn't just specific to this issue. It's specific, you know, it's other issues. It's harder for people to poke in and see what's going on, right? 
that's one of the benefits of, of the way these things work. So, but we tried to look at it and, and, and we can't quantify the, the, the numbers of fathers who are losing access to their children when these things occur. So we tried to do that. And, and that's one of the things we can point at and say, we, like, we know this is a problem, but we can't quantify it to be able to really say that it's a problem or not. And that's a problem. So we've done that. Uh, the other thing we did was we reached out to all of the district attorneys in the state of Pennsylvania, so the 67 counties, and asked them, by law, the, the Joint State Commission and the General Assembly had done a report on PFAs uh, back in 2019. And one of the things they said is, and they tap danced around it a little bit, but that you can prosecute someone for misusing a PFA because they provided information to a law enforcement officer or an officer of the court, right? So you can utilize that avenue to prosecute them. So we reached out to all the, the district attorneys to say, over the last 10 years, in, has your county prosecuted anyone for doing this? Uh, now, again, we didn't get responses from every county. Um, of the ones we got responses from, some of them said that they had, and they pointed at some examples, but it was less than a handful. Some of them, now most of them, most of the ones who responded more than just giving us the data, because some of them did, said, this is too hard to get at. You can't prove it. Okay. But a couple of them were really candid in saying, in my time in private practice and as a district attorney, I see this misused consistently. We need reform, right? So this is one of these things that we know it's an issue um, and that I, I welcome the opportunity. I know this is the third rail. I want to be able to try to do something about this because, again, children are the ones who are getting hurt when this happens, right? They, like, what are they thinking about their father? And what are they being told about their father? You know, and does it conflict with what they know? You know, because if this is someone who they, they know to be a, a good man, right? It doesn't match, right? Like, there's all those things. Um, and also, just from the moment, the movement, you know, and I'm not going to say, you know, people have dedicated their lives to domestic violence and, you know, to kudos and thank you for doing that. Um, but it's a, it's a misservice to the cause to have this way in which it is misused in this manner, you know, and there's nothing stated either by the Bar Association or anything tangibly uh, within law for an attorney saying you shouldn't misuse these things. And attorneys are attorneys. Some of them won't, right? But some of them are going to say anything's fair game if I'm told I'm not allowed to do it, right? So can we at least get to the point of saying, look, you know, don't misuse this, right? So I, I welcome the opportunity to have that discussion because it's something. And, and the other thing it does is it makes the family courts and our court systems like they're spending all, all kinds of time trying to weed through this stuff, you know, so we can do better on every level for our children, first and foremost, for families and mothers and fathers not to be able to get caught up in these things. They can have, they can be better people and better lives if they're not enabled to be able to fall into these patterns and do these kinds of things. And our courts got better things to do than to be able to allow these things to consistently churn back in through their, their systems. 
Yeah, I mean, we, we've seen that consistently across the country where, you know, there is very little accountability for misuse of, you know, of some of these mechanisms. And I, I try to explain to legislators, too, you know, the, the shared parenting laws, you know, they're really not needed for, for couples that are, you know, amicably divorcing and they're trying to figure things out on their own. That's not who these laws are for. These laws are for those percentage of cases where um, you have one person, you know, who's trying to go scorched earth on somebody else you know, and trying to, to really burn them as much as they can, you know, as, as, as good of analogy, I guess, as that is. But um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's really very little protection for somebody who becomes the target of these sorts of things. And, and I think we're seeing that consistently across the country. And then when it is proven false, then there's no, there's, there, there's no recourse, right? They're just like, ah, we'll move on. And, you know, a lot of times people lose money, they may go to jail, they, you know, there's all sorts of bad consequences that happens to the actual victim in this part, you know, in this, in this case, um, in this situation, but there's, there's really, um, you know, never any justice for that victim, you know, who's, who's actually been a, this is a form of abuse really is what it is. Uh, but I don't think the courts are, are willing to recognize it as such. Well, and again, all of what you said, 100% agree. But again, the children, you know, what's happening to the children, the downflow, they got to be aware of that. Like it, you got children, I, I, the fathers I've worked with just over the past, past five years, there's some of them I've worked with for many, many years now. Their children have spent the overwhelming majority, some of them, of their cognizant years, you know, so when they knew what was going on in life, with all of this going on, the uncertainty and the bitterness and having all these unusual people like, oh, the judge, oh, I'll talk to them. And they mean, well, that's all fine and well. But what, you know, a, a, a child walking into this stuffy courtroom with everyone who's genuflecting to this person who's in a black, right? you know, how weird is that for a child or a guardian ad litem or a social worker or having to go to see custody evaluators and all those. I mean, this and, and it's constant uncertainty. And constantly feeling as though, then I, I well, no, they most of them. I am the fault. This wouldn't exist if it wasn't for me. So at that core level, the children experience is, this is my fault because I exist. Much less if I say or do something that's going to set this person off in this chain of events and all this other stuff. Or I just want to have my dad pick me up on the way from home to take me to the soccer practice today. But it's you know all this back and forth. So. All of what you said at the practical level, and then the kids, the impact on the children. My goodness. Yeah, the, the impact on the kids is, is just massive. And uh, I, I think you're right. A lot of times, you know, the courts and the legislators and, and the lawyers and everybody that we talk to about this, they all really lose sight of, of what's most important, which is, you know, bringing up kids that are trauma free, that are healthy, that are happy, uh, and all those sorts of things. Because when we do that as a society, there is much less of a financial impact on the society itself. And the society is also better off, right? Because you have you know, less people being criminals and, and all these sorts of things that, that, uh, you know, happen when kids grow up without their dads. Um, so yeah, it is a, it is a huge impact. And I, th I know in the media, we've seen some movement on, uh, the impact of, of the fatherlessness across the country. And, and we're starting to get some more traction on that. But, but I think, uh, you know, like you mentioned, I, I, I personally think we're really in the very beginning stages of, of this sort of thing breaking to where uh, most of the country realizes it's a problem and decides to do something about it. Uh, social change takes a whole heck of a long time. And this is a, it's a social justice issue. 
Um, and we're at that phase, like you said, um, most people agree with what we're doing, you know, and unsolicited, we have women, liberal women, conservative women, like they're, thank you for doing what you're doing. It's needed, right? Like we get that consistently. We've had very little pushback, but acknowledging that there's a problem, actually doing something about it, you know, and that's why, you know, Florida did, and I'll go back to the responsible fatherhood thing, the bill that they did back, I think it was April, uh, $60 million or I don't know, it was tens or hundreds of millions of dollars for responsible fatherhood. Well, that's all fine and well, but it's a whole heck of a lot easier to cut that check than it is to change the way people do things, change the way they think, and, and, and put those things. That's a harder lift. And so you're, you're absolutely correct. I think we're, we're, we're early stage on this. Um, and I'm hoping that we can break through with HB 1731 here in Pennsylvania. And then uh, you guys are leading the way with the shared parenting. I think, and that can become a platform then to hopefully get to shared parenting because it's a little easier if an entity that's embodied within the state legislature is recommending something versus an outside group recommending something. So that's kind of where we're coming at with the fatherhood commissioner advisory committee. But, you know, we're hopefully we can get this done in Pennsylvania and then get that moving and have that be a model to be able to really advance uh, things at the, the social justice level that you referred to. Well, that's great. And we can't wait to hear back from you. You know, when that gets going, we want to definitely do another one of these Zoom interviews and uh, listen to, you know, how it's been going and sort of lessons learned that you have there in Pennsylvania. But uh, we're kind of out of time now, Jeff. Uh, tell us where people can find the Dad's Resource Center and are you online, uh, Facebook, you know, all your socials, that sort of thing? Uh, dadsrc.org. So D-A-D-S-R-C, Resource Center.org. That's our website. Uh, we uh, link up with our social media. We're trying to build it up like everyone else is. Uh, we have a wonderful person, Jasmine Solanke. Uh, she's our social media person and she's out there every day getting our message out and, and communicating with people because uh, that's the world that we live in today. Uh, we would welcome you following us. Uh, you can contact me, uh, whatever email you send there will go to me. Uh, if you'd like to talk to me or ask me any questions, you can just reach me through the website like that. Uh, and we'd welcome your involvement, um, hear what you have to say, uh, and definitely follow us on uh, social media. Well, Jeff, thanks so much again for coming on, and we look forward to uh, connecting up with you here in the future, and uh, good luck with everything you're doing out there in Pennsylvania. Absolutely, Chris. We appreciate the opportunity, and again, you know, uh, much respect for the MPO. Now, that was recorded on video, so if you want to go ahead and watch the video, you can find the link in the show notes. It's on YouTube. And if you have any questions, you can contact National Parents Organization at sharedparenting.org. Don't forget to like National Parents Organization on social media. Just go ahead and do a Facebook search for National Parents Organization and smash the like button. You're also going to find several Facebook pages for different state chapters, so go ahead and like those pages as well. And don't forget, you can also follow National Parents Organization on Twitter or LinkedIn. The links to those social media sites are on the sharedparenting.org website. If you're passionate about shared parenting, the best thing you can do is get involved. And the best way to do that is by contacting your state chapter. If you head over to the sharedparenting.org website, you can find the links to your state chapter and then contact them directly to take action and volunteer.
We could also use your help with donations. National Parents Organization is a nationally recognized nonprofit registered in Massachusetts. To donate, visit sharedparenting.org and click the Take Action and then Donate. We'd love to hear what you think about the show. Tell us what you think on social media or by going to the sharedparenting.org website and sending us a message. Fill out that contact form and let us know what you think. We'd love to hear about what you think about the show or what you want to hear on the show, those sorts of things. So go ahead and, and send us a message. Until the next episode, I'm your host, Chris Batchelor. Thanks for listening, and together we can help bring shared parenting nationwide. <laughs>